On this episode of The Playbook, I have David Brandon, chairman of the board of Domino's Pizza, and he's going to talk about being on the field with Bo Schembechler to being the chairman of some of the greatest companies in America and how he threw a legal letter into an oven to make a point. Join me for all this and more on The Playbook. This is Entrepreneur's The Playbook where each week I bring you some of the greatest athletes, celebrities, and entrepreneurs to talk about their personal and professional playbook to success and what made them champions on the field and in the boardroom. I'm your host, David Meltzer. Man, do I have a treat for everyone. He is a Michigan Wolverine, David Brandon, the chairman today of the board of Domino's Pizza. But his career has taken him to many of the greatest names in business in America. Um, and so I want to start there, David, because I like you played football at Michigan is why I brought up the Wolverine side of things. And I have found that men and women that have been hyper successful in their career have some sort of collegiate uh, sports experience that there must be some secret sauce or lessons that are learned. Now you got to play for the great Bo Beckler. Um, what are some of those lessons from the on the field experience of playing college sports that have transcended you to such an extraordinary business career? Well, thank you. It's great to be with you. I, I actually was brought into the business world as a result of the fact that I was a student athlete at Michigan. Bo recommended me to a recruiter at Procter & Gamble. And interestingly enough, a couple of years later, I became a recruiter for Procter & Gamble. And I went back to the University of Michigan as well as a number of other universities. And one of the first places we would go would be the athletic departments because it's it's been long understood that if you can compete at the highest level, if you understand preparation, if you understand time management, if you understand the intensity of practice and the ability to both win and lose and do it with class, um, communication skills, leadership skills, learning a play, learning to be a part of a team, all of those concepts that are very much a part of team sports and athletics translate very, very well to the world of business. And since I never really was at the business school at Michigan and didn't have a degree in business, I really felt, I, I, I've told people I, I went to the Bo Schembechler School of Leadership and really took a lot of what I learned from observing him as a legendary coach, and I took it to my business life. You remind me of one of my friends from Tulane Law School that his mom said, if you don't graduate from law school, you're going to end up working for Burger King, and he's now the chairman of Burger King. So uh, <laughs> it's amazing what we can learn uh, in different ways. Now, one of the mindset difficulties that entrepreneurs have, and especially today with the change of education itself and, you know, the varying ways that we can be educated. I uh, come from a different school. I believe in education is the key to life, to invest in yourself. But now there's just a multitude of ways to be educated. You can be educated online and two-year, four-year, privately. We don't necessarily all have to go to the Big Ten uh, to have a great academic career, but we should all have uh, that type of career or, or pursuit of, of expanding and growing. But the mindset when we start out, here you go to this great college, you're a student athlete, and you know you get recommended for a recruiter job, but I'd love to hear what your mindset was of, you know, 
here you're not where you want to be, I'm sure. You're a hyper-competitive guy and you're graduating from a great college and you have this recruiting job, but where did you see yourself or what was your mindset in taking that job to get to maybe your dream today as being chairman of the board of Domino's or other things like that? Well, I don't know if my journey is that typical, but I came from a very small school. I came from a family that had never had anyone go to a four-year college. I was, I grew up on a farm and I happened to be pretty good at playing football and I got recruited and signed a scholarship at Michigan. And when I got there, I really didn't have anybody to mentor me as to, you know, degrees and majors and minors and career uh, paths. I mean, I wasn't there mentally. And so when they asked me when I arrived, you know, what do you want to study? My role models at that point, other than my father and our, my parents, my role models were coaches and teachers. Uh, and back in those days, if you wanted to coach a sport at the high school level, you had to be a teacher. So I immediately responded, hey, I, you know, I want to be a teacher and a coach because those are the people that I related to and they changed my life. So I went to the School of Education and I was in the process of doing my student teaching uh, to get a degree, a certification to teach. And I had already lined up a coaching job in my senior year. And I got this call from a recruiter at Proctor who said we were over at the athletic department, we talked to your coach and he recommended that we talk to you. And I said, you've got the wrong date, Brandon. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I've never had business class. That's not what I'm doing. I'm going to be a teacher and a coach. I don't know anything about Procter and Gamble. And they said, no, we, we, we understand that. We're not, we're not hunting majors here. We're hunting individuals and talent. And we'd really like to talk to you. So at the time I thought it was a good free lunch and I agreed to meet with them. And ultimately I found out that they paid a lot better than teachers did starting out back in the 70s. And it also became a bit of a new challenge for me. So I always figured I could go back to teaching if this business gig didn't work out. And so I started with PG. And now, you know, as I work towards the end of my career, I've been a CEO of three different companies for a total period of 25 years and taken a couple of companies public and sat on the board of a dozen or so companies. And so I've had a wonderful business career, but it all really started more by happenstance and by Procter & Gamble being willing to take a chance on hiring talent and, and skills and aptitude and energy and enthusiasm as opposed to necessarily someone who brought a lot of the business book smarts to the job. And from all the executive positions that you've held with some great companies, including Toys R Us, is that everyone knows, you know, you gain certain skills, uh, of course, acquire knowledge of not only what, but who. Uh, and then also your desire changes as the years go on. And as you become more and more successful, people start offering you board positions, which you've sat on. I'm looking through the list. It's incredible. The companies, you know, and uh, philanthropic endeavors uh, that have asked you to be on the board. And then the honorary degrees, I think you have more honorary doctorates. I was going to ask you if I could borrow one because my mom <laughs> still thinks my fetus isn't fully developed because I'm not a doctor. Um, <laughs> you may know what that feels like. Uh, but more importantly, it's, it's interesting for me because understanding what it takes to help people at this stage of your career. It's different when you're in the operations as a CEO running a business. Now, uh, it's not necessarily an obligatory honor, 
there's a lot of value that we bring from being on boards. There's, you know, we, we don't, I'm sure you discount the PhDs like I discount, you know, being knighted or, you know, other honorary uh, things that I've gotten. But I do know there's a great value from my experience that I've learned, especially about ego and human nature. What are some of the things that you think, because technology's changed so quickly, obviously on the day-to-day -day side, you probably know as much as me about helping to effectuate uh, you know, a, a company's success, but the real value is this more experiential type of relationships uh, that I've been able to uh, utilize in order to accelerate success. What are some of the lessons that you help as being on these boards, you know, with the honorary degrees? Where, where's your superpower lie today? Well, listen, I, I believe that um, the art of leadership today is surrounding yourself with people who are smarter than you are and surrounding yourself with people who share your value, values as well as your aspirations for what you want to accomplish. I, I, I believe if you, if, you can, if you can develop that skill to assess talent and get alignment not just in terms of job skills, but alignment in terms of culture and philosophy and commitment and shared, you know, shared value, not only shared values, but also a shared feeling of aspirational endeavors. What here's, here's what we want to accomplish together. Um, and that's what teams do. That's what you learn as being part of a football team or a basketball team, any any team, if, if they all get in a room and say, here's what we want to set out to do this season or this year or this quarter, and we all buy into it and we all understand clearly our roles, which enable us to get there, um, that's two thirds of the battle. And, and, if I, and if I'm good at anything, I think I've been good at identifying talent, both skills and attitude, both culture uh, and shared values in such a way that I've, I've been fortunate to have great people working for me who have made me look really good from time to time. Yeah, I know that feeling, but more importantly, we have to know what to look for in that talent. I think talent's going to be a huge critical business issue uh, from transitioning talent uh, to maintaining and retaining talent. Uh, it's gonna be one of those critical factors that I think will determine the success of especially large, larger organizations to make sure that we're communicating entrepreneurship as much as the romanticized entrepreneurship. Uh, I can't think of a better day or time to be an entrepreneur than now where companies are begging for talent and they have benefits which are worth way more, especially health benefits than they've ever been, expense accounts. You still get the freedom of working at home and remotely on your own time frame. It's extraordinary. But what do you look for in talent? Because obviously you've been great at surrounding yourself with it. There has to be some things that are a common denominator of all the talent or potential talent that you're looking at. Yeah, I, I look for, first of all, goal orientation. I want people to prove to me that they, they have almost built into their DNA this notion of setting high expectations for themselves, setting specific goals, and then working hard to achieve them proving to me that they not only achieve those goals, but they have plans and they've been able to execute those plans in a way that allow that success to achieve, to happen. I think most leaders in business today, what we primarily are is problem solvers. You know, I, I always said that, um, you know, if there weren't for problems, probably the companies I work for wouldn't need me. 
Uh, <laughs> usually the little problems get solved by other people. The middle-sized problems get solved by people who work for me. And it's the big, the big problems, not the campfires or the bonfires, the forest fires come to the CEO. And you have to have that innate ability to identify a problem, um, understand what the possible options for solving the problem are, and then executing that plan. Uh, so that problem solving is something that I spend a lot of time interviewing people, hearing about how they think about that, how they approach that, and what problems they've had and how they've gone about solving them. And then I really look for that that alignment. I, I It was really interesting. I, I try to study what other organizations do real effectively. And I always was impressed taking my kids to Disney World and seeing the energy that all those characters and those people in that park. And I went down there to their school of management to try to really understand, you know, what, you know how do you program these people to be so happy all the time? And, and really <laughs> happiness is their mission, right? Um, and, and it was fascinating to me that when they hire people, when they assess talent, they put 50% of the weighting on their skills and aptitude and ability to perform the functions of the job, but they put an equal amount of weight on their attitude, their enthusiasm, their personality, and fundamentally their cultural fit with this Disney notion of creating happiness. And I, I always remembered that and I embody that into the way I assess people because I think both of those qualities and characteristics are equally as important. And I agree, my mission in life is to empower over a billion people to be happy, to create that collective consciousness of a Disney perspective into life for everyone to make money, help people and have fun. And I think that's how I articulate that mission that uh, Walt Disney instilled in so many generations and created a legacy of happiness. You know, if I want to be known for something, certainly happiness would be it. Now, we've talked about a lot of the, pract the practical, pragmatic things that we do, um, but when you're putting out forest fires, there's two things that are critical. One is a mindset uh, and two is a heart set. You know, what are some of the tricks or uh, disciplines that you have to keep, you know, when there's a forest fire, a lot of people have a variety of different interference that they create to creating a solution. You obviously have a very settled mindset and heart set, meaning how you feel about things and a control to make sure you're maximizing uh, your capabilities. What do you use to maximize your mindset and your heart set? Well, I've been around long enough that leadership has changed and evolved over the decades. I think when I first became a CEO back in the 80s, it was almost the expectation was that as CEO, you should never let them see you sweat, right? You're the one who's always got the answers and, you know, you kind of play that role as the answer person and nothing upsets you because you're unflappable because you're, you know, the, you're, you're not a human, right? You're a CEO. As the world has unfolded, I think it's almost the opposite. We're, we're at a time now where, first of all, CEOs have to make themselves vulnerable they have to understand they don't have all the answers because everybody knows they don't have the answers. And so when you're confronted with those problems, I think the first thing that you need to do is open up the funnel in terms of listening to your subject matter experts and the people you trust around you who can help you get to the right answer. The wrong answer is to say, well, I'm, I'm at the top of the pyramid and I, that means I'm the smartest and that means I've got all the answers. Uh, that's wrong. And people see it as very disingenuous. You are not authentic if you're confronted with a forest fire problem 
And you immediately put a smile on your face and say, well, this is just an average day. <laughs> Welcome to that. the pandemic. Right? That's, that's right. <laughs> so holding yourself, uh, you know, out there as a real authentic human who has the same emotions as everybody else and, and react in an honest way and, and being very transparent about the issues that need to be resolved and listening carefully to the people who can help you get to the right answer. I've often said, if, if you put your leadership team around you and you want to go north and all of them say that's wrong, let's go south, you're kind of a fool. Uh, and you've certainly got the wrong team if you don't listen and, and change your direction. Um, if you say, let's go north and all of them agree to go north, that you're, you, that's an easy day. You earn your money when you say, let's go north and half of them want to agree and half of them disagree. And so sometimes you got to make the call. But most of the time, I think in the world of problem solving and really in the big decisions that you need to make, if you have the right people around you, you can really use consensus, good communication and open, honest sharing as a way to get to the right answer. Yeah, that transformation from the early days of being a CEO, being what I called ignorant, arrogant, meaning, you know, you don't know what you don't know, but you're arrogant. So you tell people you actually do. And now to be a CEO today is so nice because you can be ignorant and humble and just say, hey, I don't know what I don't know, but I really like your input. I'm an intelligent follower and let me use my experience, the dummy tax I paid, the situational knowledge and help from other executives that I know to figure out you know, statistically what may be the best choice uh, right. and go with that one. Uh, last thing, you know, media has changed being an entrepreneur and an executive. You know, we were the, the hidden childs. I spent years as Lee Steinberg's guy or Warren Moon's partner. Uh, and then all of a sudden it became super cool to be an executive and an entrepreneur and people want to put you into media situations. And I've ended up with, you know, three TV shows as an executive producer from elevator pitch to two minute drill to office hours. And I'm still getting used to it. You've also had experience of, you know, being an executive in the media space with our former president and his famous show, The Apprentice. And I'm always curious with the seasoned veteran executive like yourself. Uh, who is obviously a true business person when you have to enter this field of entertainment, uh, but with a good positive perspective of helping people, which, you know, that show did, right? We want to expose, you know, how and what we do, but there's still the theatrical media side of things. What was your number one takeaway from being on The Apprentice? Well, The Apprentice was just, it was a media buy and it gave us great brand recognition at the time. It was the number one show on television. And so it, it, it's part of my job description, right? If there's a way for me to add recognition and, and bring attraction to the brand and a coolness factor. So, you know, I did that and, and you know, spent a couple of episodes on The Apprentice with then, uh, you know, the, the judge in the boardroom, Trump. Uh, it, it, it was fun, but it was also my job, right? It was a responsibility that we had as part of the deal that we did to get some good media coverage and, and some good brand recognition on The Apprentice. I did a couple of commercials, um, but I was always very careful that I, I never wanted to be the celebrity CEO because I think that can be a bit of a trap. I think you can get caught up in that to the point where that starts to get in the way of your authenticity and your, um, your ability to interact with all levels of the organization. Um, and sometimes you can just fall in that trap where you start to see yourself on TV and you like it. 
uh, and that becomes more important than your day job. So I always try to create that balance. For, for instance, one of the most fun things I ever did was we, we, we were launching at Domino's during my CEO days, we were launching a new line of oven-baked sandwiches. And we put an ad campaign together where we, in fact, uh, tested our oven-baked sandwiches against Subway sandwiches, which at the time were the number one in their category. And ours were preferred two to one over Subway. So we came out with an ad campaign to brag about the fact that we had these sandwiches that tested so much better than Subway. So as is typically the case in America today, if you know your competitor gets a leg up, the first thing you do is you call your lawyer and try to come up with a way to sue them. <laughs> so I got, this, I got this letter one day, a cease and desist letter uh, from the general counsel at Subway telling us to pull these ads because they, were, they didn't like them. So I went down to the marketing department and in about the course of a 15 minute discussion, which started out as kind of a joke and turned into a strategy, we decided to film a commercial where I would oven bake the letter. So we actually, <laughs> we actually put a, a commercial together where I showed the letter to our customers. I said, look, this, this guy at Subway is trying to get us to pull our ads because he's upset that our sandwiches are so good. I just want you to know how I feel about this letter. And I toss it in our oven and, and the audience watches, watches it explode. So, you know, CEOs can have fun and they can put themselves in a position where they can be part of that. But if you start to think like that's your day job, then you're gonna lose track of what's most important. Well, I love the transparency, the focus, the attention and intention on the great coincidences that have occurred in your life from getting a scholarship to Michigan to being a chairman of the board of one of the best companies in America, as well as being on the board of many others and helping so many people. I will tell you from the people that I know that have worked with you, for you and through you, that you are a person like Dennis Waitley uh, taught me when I was young, that is planting seeds under so many trees that you may never sit under uh, with the best purpose and causes in mind. And we certainly appreciate you taking the time to share your playbook of success on and off the field with us. The incredible David Brandon, chairman of the board of Domino's Pizza. Thank you so much for joining me. Well, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of The Playbook as much as me. On a personal note, I just wanted to thank everyone for making The Playbook such a success. Don't forget to continue it by sharing, subscribing, and listening to your favorite episodes. This is Dave Meltzer with The Playbook.